Last fall, we started a sermon series that took us through, or is working our way through the Bible in a sermon series entitled God's Story, Our Story. A few weeks ago, we ended the the Old Testament by looking at the minor prophet Malachi. And we know that there are 400 years, they call it 400 years of silence between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. But before we rush ahead to the New Testament, we wanted to spend the weeks of November by rehearsing the story of the Bible. And we had our team put together this graphic The story of the Bible can be broken into four basic parts, four basic plot lines, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. The story of the Bible, if you're still trying to wrap your mind around all of the stories and all of the figures and all of the themes, this is the basic storyline of the Bible. And the story, which begins in Genesis in creation and ends with the consummation of the kingdom in Revelation, the story of the Bible is full of all kinds of drama, the fall happening in Genesis chapter 3, and then of course all of the Old Testament is a promise of future redemption through the Messiah, and then eventually in the New Testament. Testament, the fulfillment of all of the promises of redemption and consummation. And so each week we're going to be looking at a different part of that story of the Bible. Last week we talked about the significance of the story of creation and we looked at uh, Psalm chapter 8. This morning we're going to look at the story and the importance of understanding the plot line of the fall. And we're going to look at Psalm 42. Each week, we're actually going to be in the Psalms. Why? Because the Psalms are the songbook of God. Martin Luther called it the hymn book of the Bible. What they would do as they were creating the Psalms is they would take the storyline of the Bible and they would put it to music so that in worship, they would rehearse the story of God. Sound familiar? Every time you come to worship, you are rehearsing and remembering the story of God from creation to consummation. And so we'll look at the story and the importance and the reality of the fall by looking at Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is not written by David as many of the Psalms were, but it says, you can see it in most of your Bibles, that it's to the choir master, a mascal of the son's of Korah. Who were the sons of Korah? Korah was a priest in the tabernacle of God. We read about Korah in Numbers, and it's a very sobering story because Korah sought to lead rebellion against God and against Moses and Aaron. Well, what did God do in light of rebellion? We're told in the book of Numbers that God opens up the earth And Korah and the congregation get swallowed up. The sons of Korah, though, are spared. And so the sons of Korah have heard the story passed down from generation to generation of the reality of brokenness, but in the midst of brokenness being spared by God's amazing grace. And so this is a psalm written to the choir master, so we know that it is a song to be sung, And a mascal is simply a word of instruction, a word of instruction from the sons of Korah in light of the brokenness they have seen and they have heard about 
in history. This is the reality of brokenness that is delivered to you by way of this psalm. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 11. This is the inspired word of the living God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why my soul is cast down within me? Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones and my adversaries, they taunt me. They say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And my God, and on this Lord's day, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen and amen. I think one thing we can all agree upon is 2020 has not been the greatest of years. I don't think I need to rehearse what we've experienced as a nation and as a world, uh, the storyline of 2020. And we see when we turn on the news and we experience the realities of our culture, we experience the realities of what is happening in our nation and the realities of what happens throughout the world, none of us should be surprised by the reality of brokenness in our world. But that's just the reality of brokenness on a global scale. We haven't even begun to think and to process the brokenness that is going on in our lives of the people around us, the personal brokenness that you bring into worship, that you bring into the beginning of another week. So we see brokenness on a global scale, brokenness on a national scale, but also brokenness on a personal scale as well. And it leaves us with these questions how do we make sense of it? When we turn on the news, or we get the report from the doctor, or we hear the news from our children, how do we make sense? God, I know that you're there. God, I know that you're sovereign. But how do I make sense of the reality of the brokenness around me and the reality of the brokenness in my own life? I have always been drawn to Psalm 42 Because it is a sobering reality that the brokenness is real. And the two things I want us to look at this morning in light of Psalm 42 is I want us to look at, one, the reality of brokenness, 
and the remedy for it. Because Psalm 42 is a sobering reality of the cosmic but also personal brokenness that was a result of the fall. First thing I want us to see in Psalm 42 is the reality of the brokenness. Christians have never been called to be ignorant. Christians have never been called to be blind to the brokenness in their own lives and the brokenness around them. We have always been called, as the psalmist does so well here in Psalm 42, about acknowledging the truth and the reality of the brokenness in his life and the brokenness around him. And it's interesting, as we study Psalm 42, you see how we can tend to underestimate the reality of this brokenness. Because what Psalm 42 does for us is it paints the picture that the brokenness is far wider and deeper and greater than we understand. We see here in Psalm 42, in light of the reality of brokenness, we see the reality of the spiritual brokenness that the psalmist is experiencing. In verses 1 and 2, we see the reality of this spiritual brokenness. He uses the metaphor of a, of a deer, a deer panting for water. A deer is a smart animal. A deer knows exactly where to go for, to go to get a drink of water. This is not a deer that is lost. That is not a deer that is confused. He's likening himself to a deer that has run out of options, that has nowhere else to go. And he likens himself to a deer that is panting for water. A deer panting is a deer that is ready to die. And so the psalmist is saying, the brokenness is so real around me. I am experiencing a spiritual dryness and brokenness. It feels like I am a deer panting for water and there is no water to be found. Can some of you relate with this? At times in your own spiritual journey feeling dry and feeling broken and feeling like there is no sense. I believe in God. I pray to God. I sing songs to God. But there is a sense in my life in which I'm missing the feeling of the real presence of God in my life. In verse 2, it says, when shall I come and appear before my God? The idea of appearing before your God is is the idea of losing the face of God losing the countenance of God. We've studied in the Old Testament this idea of the countenance or the face of God being synonymous with the favor of God. He's saying, I am spiritually dry and spiritually broken and I no longer sense the favor and the pleasure of God in my life. He's crying out in honesty and saying the hope is gone. The reality is gone. Something has been severed between me and my God. The brokenness is so overwhelming the psalmist that he's experiencing it in a spiritual way between himself, his soul, and his God. But we not only see the reality of brokenness spiritually between the psalmist and God, but we also see a social brokenness. We see a broken, a broken community for the psalmist. What does he say in verse 4? He says, these things I remember as I'm honest with my God, I remember going with the throng and leading them in procession to the house of God. We don't know why this has happened, but he's been isolated from community. He's been isolated from his family. 
both his biological family and his spiritual family. And he's saying, I remember, I remember when I used to be able to go with the people and celebrate God together. For some reason, the, the brokenness has such so captured his life and overwhelmed him. It separated him not only from God, but there's this sense in which he's been separated from community. If he was a worship leader in the temple, we know that he would have resided in the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah, where the temple was. But we're told that he's in the northern kingdom, verse 5, or the end of verse 6. He's in the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. And like I said, we don't know why he's been isolated, but we just know he's been disconnected. See, the brokenness of this world has led to a spiritual brokenness, a feeling of being spiritually isolated from God, but also a social uh, uh, brokenness where he's socially isolated And let me just say as a side note that in our spiritual dryness and in those times in our life where we just don't feel like we're growing with God, the greatest temptation you can buy is to not only withdraw from God, but also withdraw from God's people. We see the effects that it's having on the psalmist. He's been disconnected not only from God, but from God's people, and it is beginning to take a toll And so for you, if you are in a place of spiritual dryness where you don't sense the pleasure and the favor of God, do not buy the lie that the one thing you need is just to be by yourself. It is the lie of the devil to think that we can maneuver and to go through this journey of spiritual dryness and the spiritual wilderness by ourselves. It might very well be the person sitting around you that God will use to encourage you to point you, your eyes upward. We see the spiritual brokenness, we see the social brokenness, brokenness, but also we see the physical brokenness. The reality of this brokenness has so overwhelmed the psalmist that it's beginning to take a toll on him physically. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. Two things we learn from this simple verse. The psalmist is no longer sleeping and he's no longer eating. He's saying the brokenness of my life and my reality and the brokenness of the world around me has so taken a toll on me spiritually and in community with others that it's beginning to break down my body. I'm no longer sleeping and I'm no longer eating. My tears have become my food. I've lost the, opportun- I've lost the ability to sleep and I've lost the ability to eat. I've lost my appetite. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the great... Uh, British pastor for many years at Westminster Chapel in London, was first a medical doctor before he was a pastor. And in his commentary on Psalm 42, said this was a clear sign of an individual who was going through depression. That their spiritual dryness and and their lack of social fellowship and community had taken such a toll on them physically that they could no longer eat and they could no longer sleep to the point where their tears had become their food. You see, the fall is taking its effects on the psalmist, not only spiritually, but physically as well. And the reality is one of cosmic brokenness, of cosmic consequences for the psalmist. And what is the result? What happens You see, the psalmist becomes disillusioned. 
He lives a life of great discouragement. And you can see it in verse 10. It says, the adversaries taunt me all day long in verse 10. And they begin to say to him, where is your God? You see, one of the greatest temptations of living in a broken world is to wake up and ask the question, maybe you even asked it this morning, and you say, if there is a God, where is he? If there's a God, is he at work? And maybe you have even been tempted, as the psalmist was tempted, if there is a God, then he surely is not for me. And you see, what the psalmist was dealing with was the great discouragement and the great disillusion that when I look at my external circumstances, I begin to buy the lie that God, if you're there, you're surely not at work in my life. God, if you're there, you're surely not at work in this world. God, if you're there and you're real, then you're not for me, but it seems like you're against me. And if you have not been tempted by that, there will be a time or a moment in your life where you will be tempted to buy the lie as the psalmist is tempted to buy, that his external circumstances are beginning to take a toll internally, and he's buying the lie that his mind and his heart are believing the lie that God, you're not for me, but against me. And so what is the remedy in light of this reality of brokenness in his life and in his world? What is the remedy for brokenness? Briefly, I want to give you a few clues that we can take away from Psalm 42. The first thing the psalmist does is he identifies his hopes. In verses 5 and 11, he asks a question, not to his audience because there is none, but he asks a question to himself. He says twice in verse 5 and 11, Why are you downcast, O my soul? You see, what the psalmist is doing there is he's identifying and he's asking and analyzing his heart and his soul. And he's asking his soul, Soul, where have you placed your hopes? Soul, why are you hoping in things that are smaller than God and his kingdom? He's doing the hard heart work of analyzing where his hopes lie. And he's saying the reason for my soul being downcast is not primarily from my external circumstances, but the reason my soul is downcast, he's looking inward and he's saying, soul, you have put your hopes in something smaller than God. He's saying, soul, why are you downcast? It is an exercise of self-examination, not asking in verse 5 and 11 a rhetorical question, but he wants to discover honestly where his hope lies. But the second thing he does to remedy this brokenness is not only identifying his hopes, but remember God's love. In verse 8, he says, By day and the Lord commands his steadfast love. That word steadfast means his covenantal, his faithful love. He needs to rehearse it. God, in this place in my life where I am discouraged, in this place in my life where I want to give up, in this place where I'm at where I don't feel like God is listening and God is silent, I need to remember and rehearse. I need to rehearse your steadfast love. And what does he do at the end of verse 8? And at night his song is within me. You see, he takes the grace of God, which is on a book in his bookshelf, and he turns it into a song of his heart. 
He takes all of this intellectual knowledge about the grace of God and about the steadfast love of God and he transforms it into a song of God's grace that he sings over himself as he weeps, as he lies in bed awake at night. Brothers and sisters, there are some here today and watching at home that need a song of God's grace sung to your soul as you lay in bed at wake at night. He identifies his hopes, he remembers his love, and he remedies this brokenness, lastly, by preaching to his soul. In verse 11, after asking the question for the first time, second time, why are you downcast? How does the psalm ends? He ends by preaching to himself. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's not preaching to an audience, for there is no audience to be found. He's not speaking to God, call him crazy, but he's preaching to himself. He's preaching a message of hope to himself. And for some of us here and some of us watching at home, there comes a time where, yes, we do the hard heart work of analyzing where our hopes lie, but there comes a time, like the psalmist, where you grab your heart and your soul and you say, stop, hope in God. There comes a time where you need to take your soul and say, soul, stop, stop hoping in things smaller than God and his kingdom. Put your hope back in God. What does he preach to himself? The glorious reminders of God's amazing grace and his provision in the past. And he reminds him that, yes, God, I will hope in God. I shall praise him. Do you hear the confidence? We need to be men and women this morning that leave here with confidence, not just in knowledge, but a song of hope that I will hope in my God and I will praise him. Not I hope I will praise him one day, not hopefully God will still be in control, that we leave with a confidence, a rock-solid confidence this morning and tonight and tomorrow that I will praise my God. Preach to your soul. And so how do we find this power? How do we find the power to deal with the reality of the brokenness of God and to do these things, to preach to our soul. There's only one way we find this power. As men and women of God, we need to read Psalm 42 with one man in mind. You see, it would be centuries later that Jesus Christ would come and Jesus Christ wouldn't feel dry And Jesus Christ wouldn't feel separated from God. But we're told in the Gospels that Jesus Christ actually experienced dryness as he cried out to his God on the cross, I thirst. Jesus didn't feel like he was being separated from God. We are told on the cross that God God in his son Jesus Christ actually cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We need to read Psalm 42 with Jesus in mind, knowing that in Jesus, we have the hope that Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned, that Jesus thirst 
so that we would never be thirsty again. And the promise for all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can live with the confidence that God is never against me, always for me. That God the Father turned his face from God the Son so that we would forever have his countenance and his favor upon us. I don't know about you, but I don't know how I could survive this life. I don't know how I could survive living in the midst of such brokenness, thinking that God was against me. And in Jesus, you don't have to. You can live with the other confidence that in Jesus, he is always for you and never against you. C.K. Chesterton, the great British apologist and philosopher, said this, when you ask a religious person, are you a Christian? They act offended and say, of course. But when you ask a Christian, are you a Christian? They say, or simply, they don't say anything at all. They simply laugh and they simply cry. Because the idea that God being for them in the person of Jesus Christ is still so amazing. They're lost for words. I pray that that is you this morning. That the idea that God being for you and not against you makes you smile, but then makes you weep. It's the only way we can survive. Living in the midst of brokenness. Life is hard. Life is confusing. But he's on the move. And he's on the throne. And in Jesus this morning, he's never against you. Always for you. Like I said in verse 8, the psalmist responds by singing. And I want to ask you this morning, what will your song be this week? What will your song be that you sing to your soul? The one, I pray, that lifts your face to see his face in the glorious promise of Jesus Christ.